Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is Acts 1, 1 through 11. If you're able, please stand in reverence for the reading and hearing of God's holy word. And if you're unable to stand, join us now in lifting your hearts. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Um, it's good to be with you. If we haven't met, uh, my name is Michael Craddock, and I have the privilege of serving as our community uh, pastor of Community Life. In case you're wondering, uh, first of all, Josh, you're like the Phil Jackson of communication. Uh, he he coaches me on how to give announcements, so that was actually pretty funny. Um, he knows he he knows what he's doing. Um, but in, in case you are curious, I, um, we have, as many other families have had, we've had a stomach bug uh, sleeping through some sort of virus sleeping through our house, and I am the most uh, recent recipient um, of that, so I am feeling a little bit uh, less energetic as I normally am. And so um, if I am distance, if you sense that I am distancing myself from you uh, between services, I am. Um, and that is, that is out of love for you. Uh, so just, uh, just for you to, to be aware of that. Um, this morning we are continuing in our series that we have called The Basics, which is helping us to consider together the basics of the Christian life. Uh, we began the month of January where Ryan helped us to consider uh, the significance of the Bible being the Word of God and the, the role that it plays in our life. Uh, Then for two weeks, Bill helped us to remember together what the gospel is, uh, through which we have a relationship with Jesus that changes literally everything as he becomes our Lord and Savior and forgives our sins and offers us new life. Last week, we talked about the doctrine of the church, what it means that not only we have uh, a new source of truth and a new relationship with God, but we have a new relationship with his people, this community in the local church through which we live out. Uh, the calling to be God's people. And then this morning, we're going to talk about the new purpose uh, that Christ gives us, that we become participants uh, in his mission uh, that Christ has through us for the world. 
Uh, So as we consider those truths together, let's go before him now and ask him to bless this time as we seek to study his word together. Uh, Father, I thank you for for these truths uh, that are absolutely amazing. And Father, I pray that you would uh, help me this morning to speak with clarity and conviction uh, and joy about the calling and the privilege uh, that we have from you to participate in the mission of Jesus, uh, to spread the good news of his grace in word and deed uh, to the very ends of the earth, including right here where we live. Uh, Father, would you grow us this morning, uh, open our eyes, enlarge our hearts, activate our hands uh, for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, As believers in Christ, we have a lot of things that are new. We have a new name, a new relationship, um, a new relationship with God. Um, And it would be a mistake for us to take on a new name and not to understand that we also also have a new uh, purpose. Uh, Sometimes you'll see uh, restaurants that go out of business and then reopen. And oftentimes outside their doors uh, will be this sign that's trying to convince all of the people uh, that have passed it by in the past to come and try it again. Uh, and that, those words will say something to the effect of under new ownership. Uh, how many of you have seen those signs before? Uh, and you go in, you try it out, and maybe it's better, but oftentimes it's actually the same thing with, an, with a new name, isn't it? Uh, and surprise, surprise, it doesn't turn out uh, that well. It goes out of business as well. As we consider the implications of the gospel for us this morning, what's so important for us to remember Uh, to understand and embrace today is if we are in Christ, if we do indeed have a a new source of truth that directs our lives, we have a new relationship with God where Jesus is our Savior and our Redeemer, if we have a new family, a new people uh, called the church, we also have a new mission. And that does not mean that we just have, have a new name, a new moniker on the outside of our lives, but we have a new purpose that reorients everything about us. And this morning, I can think of no better text that helps to, to lay this out for us this morning than Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, where Jesus outlines his calling for his people in his world uh, that they are to carry on his mission. Uh, however, the, the, the mistake that the disciples make, even in our passage this morning, is the, the mistake that we can often be tempted uh, to make ourselves, to take on the new name of Christian, Uh, to literally be described with the name of our Savior, and yet to take on his mission with the menu of our own priorities. And that's exactly what they do. Uh, Jesus, uh, we read in verse 3, to him presented himself alive, the resurrected Lord, after suffering by many proofs, appeared to them for 40 days and speaking to, to them about the kingdom of God. And in response to that, if you look at verse 6, look at the, the question that the disciples ask. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I love the way uh, noted scholar and theologian Calvin, John Calvin commented. He said that there are as many errors in this sentence as there are words. I love it. He goes on to write this. The verb, the noun, and the adverb of their, their sentence all betray doctrinal confusion about the kingdom of God. For the verb restore shows they're expecting a political and a territorial kingdom. The noun Israel, that they are expecting a national kingdom. And the adverbial clause at this time, 
that they were expecting its immediate establishment. You see, they wanted something that was right now, not later, that was just for them and the nation of Israel, and that they could tangibly touch. So it was a political power that would change the world rather than the spiritual kingdom that Jesus was building. And this morning, as we look at God's word together in Acts chapter 1, what we want to see is that Jesus does and change, does indeed change everything for us. He gives us a new name, a new relationship, a new mission. And in that mission, we are given a mission with Christ's purposes, Christ's power, and Christ's place for us. And let's talk about those things this morning. What's the purpose of our mission? Our purpose of our mission that Jesus has given us is to be his witnesses for the world. And what does that mean? Well, it's, it means that we are to be witnesses of Christ, like Christ, and with Christ. Look at verse 1 with me this morning as, as uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, begins his second book uh, in his two-part series that began with the Gospel of Luke and then concludes with this, this uh, letter, this book that we call Acts. He writes this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now notice that word there that Luke intentionally uses, having wrote the entirety of the Gospel of, of Jesus that we call Luke, and then beginning his, his book called Acts, he says, I, in my first book, I wrote all, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, what is the implication of using the word began? Is that in the book of Acts, it's going to be about what Jesus continues to do and teach. Now, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because if you know anything about the book of Acts, Jesus, in this passage is going to ascend into heaven, as we just read, and go up to be with the, with the right hand of God, the Father in heaven, where he'll await until he comes again. And Jesus will literally not show up again physically in this book at all, other than a voice that appears uh, that, that Paul will hear in his conversion story in Acts chapter 9. So if you read Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and Luke says to us, in my first book, it was all about what Jesus began to do and teach. This book is going to be about what all that Jesus continues to do and teach. The, the natural question is, well, how is this about what Jesus does and teaches when Jesus isn't really in it? Do you understand what I'm saying? But what's implied there is the reality of what Jesus will continue to do and teach will be through the continuance of his people as he sends them out in the world which is to say his people really are the hands and feet of Jesus that continue the ministry of Jesus, like Jesus, to the world in which Jesus sends them. And so what will that look like as they go and they do and they teach like Jesus? Well, it will look like Jesus. Jesus spoke and Jesus did through the ministry of word and deed. And what is it that he spoke? Well, he talked about the gospel the good news of the kingdom. In Luke 4, 42 through 44, we read this in, in um, Luke's first book. And when it was day, Jesus departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought to him and came to him. And they would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for this is why I was sent. Again, Acts chapter 8, we pick up and we see the people of Jesus carrying on the ministry of Jesus through the words of Jesus. Acts 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 12, excuse me. We see Philip 
But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon, the magician who believed himself and after he was baptized, continued with Philip. We see Philip continuing on with the ministry of Jesus, preaching the gospel just as Jesus did. And, and Paul famously many times throughout would continue. And one of those is Acts chapter 20, verse 24 through 25. As Paul is saying goodbye to these Ephesian elders whom he's loved as he uh, concludes what he for, perceives to be the last of his ministry before he'll be uh, in, uh, imprisoned in Rome. He says this, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to do what? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. If you look at the book of Acts and you study that, you're to read that this week, what you'll see is that what God accomplishes through the lives of ordinary people, the people that are apostles and disciples, followers of Jesus who are converted, men and women, is that they are the hands and feet of Jesus that carry on the witness to the work of Christ, to the gospel of Christ, through the words and deeds that they speak, just like Christ. Now, in many ways, you read about the life of Jesus and you, you would say, there's no way that I can do what Jesus did, right? There's, there's no way, because what did Jesus do? Jesus did miraculous things like uh, walk on water or heal the dead or, or cleanse lepers or people that couldn't walk, he enabled them to walk, or people that couldn't see, he enabled them to see. There's no way that I can do that. Or Jesus spoke with eloquence at length, as, like we find in uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, and you say, I, I, there's no way that I could get up and give a sermon like that. And yet, while our words and our deeds might differ from the words and the deeds of Jesus quantitatively and qualitatively, at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit who works with us to point people to Jesus in the same way through the words that we share and the way that we live, even though that may look substantially, significantly different. Uh, one of my uh, favorite sort of pastors that the Lord has blessed me uh, to get to know over the years is a guy named uh, Casey Kramer. Casey's got a pretty incredible story. Before he was a pastor, Casey uh, was a tight end. He was a football player in the NFL and smart guy. One of those guys like Tom Brady, just easy to love, easy to hate, uh, if you know what I mean by that, right? Just good looking, smart, always on it, sort of a golden boy. And had come up through the ranks and, and was in the NFL and one of his very first teams that he ever played on uh, he was in a game where the game was on the line and they had marched the ball down the field and got their team in position to win the game. All they had to do is have their kicker, you know, do his one job, which is to kick the ball through the field, through the uprights, and they win the game, right? You have one job. And, and as so often is the case, the kicker lines up, everybody thinks game's in the bag, kicks the ball, goes wide right, airs out of the ball, game's over, and everybody's disappointed. Well, what you don't see is after the game, the kicker walks in the locker room, sits in front of his locker, and as he sits there, Casey is watching this as every other teammate comes in and just riddles their teammate with profanities, right? How did you miss that? How, you know, why'd you lose the game? Why'd you end the season? This is all on you. You had one job, right? All of the things that you say on your couch, they say to his face, okay? 
And he just sits there, the kicker just sits there and just takes it in the midst of his failure for the world to see as he disappoints everyone. And Casey walks up to him after sort of, you know, the beating is over after the gauntlet is done and just asks him, dude, how did you do that? Right? How did you, how did you take that? And that was the opportunity for him to say, look, my, my security and my identity is not, is not rooted in football. And it gave him the opportunity to share his own story of how he had become a Christian and knew Christ and that Christ gave him the security to endure his own failure and his own disappointment and the disappointment of others. It's not, it's not healing the sick. It's not raising the dead. It's not giving sight to the blind, but it is giving a testimony through his life and through his words of the work of God in his life. And that's the witness that God had called him to be. Now you hear a story like that and you might think, like, there is no way that I could do even that, right? How could I do that? Because when I fail, I don't respond that way. I don't speak that way. I don't act that way. Many times I'm be embarrassed for people to see the way that I respond. But the reality is the, the reason that that kicker was able to respond in that way that would then lead to Casey's conversion, which would radically change Casey's life in such a way that he would become a chaplain for that team and for other teams in the NFL and then would leave the chaplaincy and go on to be a pastor in, in Ohio in our denomination. The reason that would happen would not be because of that kicker's own innate gifts or abilities but it would be because of the power that Jesus says he will give his people right here in Acts chapter one. And what is that power? Well, what does Jesus say? Verse eight, but you will receive power when what? When the Holy Spirit will come upon you and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus had been telling his disciples all throughout his ministry, and especially in sort of the last third, the third third of his ministry, he was preparing his men, his people, for his absence. And one of the primary ways in which he would prepare them for his absence is to say, when I leave you, you will still not be alone. Because I will give you, as he will say in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, as he talks about the Holy Spirit, I will give you another helper who will be with you and who through whom, by whom you will be my witnesses because he will likewise testify to me. Uh, one of the things that some of you know about me and a lot of you don't know about me, and I guess I'm letting the cat out of the bag is, uh, before I was a pastor, I was a musician. I wasn't a good one, right? Josh has lots of job security. Um, I, was, I was not good, but I did. I loved to play. And I, my first sort of primary instrument was trumpet and then guitar. And I loved playing guitar and uh, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. But I fell into the trap that a lot of young uh, guitarists fall into. And that was the primary way in which I would improve uh, my playing abilities was by getting better equipment. I don't know how many of you can identify with that uh, if you are musicians. And so that looked like a lot of things. That looked like mowing a lot of grass as a teenager to, to get better guitars and then better amps and then better uh, effects pedals and then better pickups. And, uh, and finally, it sort of got to the point, I think I was 20 years old, 
I mean, I was really down the rabbit hole. And, um, and I decided, you know, what would really make me sound better is to get these, these hand-wound Lindsay Fralin pickups from this one. There's two shops in all of the East Coast that sold them, one in Nashville and, and one in New York City. And you don't need to know all of these details. I'm going to tell you anyway. And, um, and I just thought, okay, I know, that, I know that these things sound amazing, right? These are what Stevie, there's a model after what Stevie Ray Vaughan used to use and uh, Jimi Hendrix and all this stuff. And it's like, these are going to sound great. And, and I go to the shop and they say, okay, give us a little time. We're going to install them and come back in an hour. And I left, hung out with a buddy, got something to do and uh, got something, a little beverage and come back. Um, we're sitting in the shop and I'm waiting for the guitar to come out. And I hear somebody just, excuse the terminal, just shredding in the back of this. And I'm like, man, that sounds awesome. And, um, and the guy comes out. I'm like, who is that playing? That sounds amazing. And it was the guy that was working on my guitar. And he said, here you go. Your guitar's ready. I'm like, man, that guitar sounds incredible. And then he handed it to me, and I started playing it. And I realized that it didn't sound the same. <laughs> and then I realized that the reason it didn't sound the same is was not the same person playing it. And so the point is, in that illustration is, the power, to make a beautiful, the power to make beautiful music is not the instrument, but the musician. And I think for so many of us, we sort of tell ourselves this lie. We think, gosh, if we were more extraordinarily gifted or we were better speakers, or we had more charisma, or we had a different personality type, or we had different experiences, or if maybe if we played in the NFL, we'd have some great platform or, you know, whatever it is. And the reality is, is as, as one person has so eloquently put it, that often gets quoted, God is delighted to draw a straight line with a, with a crooked stick. He is delighted to draw a straight line with a crooked stick. The, the power that is at work in the book of Acts that enables the mission of Christ and the good news of the gospel to go forward is not that these people were so extraordinary, but they were ordinary people with an extraordinary God who is delighted to set up shop in their hearts through the, the person of the Holy Spirit, who would be with them in a very real way because he was able to make his name go forth, to make his light shine and his gospel go forth through their ordinary lives where they would live, work, and play. The question is not, is he able? The question is, are we willing to participate with him as he works through us to share his gospel? where he's placed us. And so let's talk about that. Our last point this morning is where are we called to live out that mission? We're called to live it out exactly where he's planted us. Uh, Acts 1.8, again, is a, is a really interesting verse. It shows up a lot if you study sort of global missions or church missions or whatever. If, if you don't know what that means at all, you're new to the faith. It's just the activity of sharing the gospel around the world and how it's supposed to spread, of, of helping other people come to discover who Jesus is and to find life in him. It's interesting. There's a, a, several different ways to sort of understand Acts 1-8. The most uh, prominent is probably to see Acts 1-8 as an outline of the book of Acts. There, Jesus says, I'll read it again, when the, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the reason that people see that as, a, as an outline of the book of Acts is because it is. Um, if, you, if you go home and you read Acts today and you were just to sort of follow along, what you'll see is that's actually the natural progression 
for how the gospel spreads throughout the book of Acts as it goes throughout Jerusalem and then it spreads to Judea, which is just geographically a little bit farther away. And then it spreads to Samaria. And one of the ways that it does that is through this persecution that breaks out and there's a dispersion that, that sort of pushes everybody out from their houses. And so therefore where they go, the gospel goes with them and it spreads all throughout. And then Paul and Barnabas and these, and Peter even get sort of this wild hair of this uh, entrepreneurial spirit that they want to take the gospel where the gospel has not yet been. And they go on all these uh, missionary journeys to take the gospel to places like Philippi and, and Ephesus and all Galatia and all these places that we then get letters in the New Testament. And so there's this sense of entrepreneurial uh, zeal that takes the gospel forward. And it is an outline. And it's also a paradigm. People think about uh, their own sort of Jerusalem. Where do I live? And their uh, Judea and what's sort of around them and uh, on, on out in concentric circles to the end of the earth. But what I think is, is so interesting, I sat under a uh, uh, missiologist, which is just a fancy word for people that study missions. And they made a point to me that I'll never forget that I want to make sure to pass along to you this morning. And it was this. He said, do you recognize, this was sitting in St. Louis, Missouri, hey, do you recognize that you actually are the ends of the earth uh, to people in Jerusalem. Now, some of you this morning are like, duh. But for me, that was, that was life-changing. That was really life-changing. And I think it's right on, right on the money because part of the unfolding uh, of, of how God's plan unfolds in the book of Acts is where we see Paul at the end of the journey in the last chapter of Acts, is supposed to help us understand that God has been faithful. That God has used every single ounce of our experience in the world, the good and the bad, the entrepreneurial zeal, and what I'll call sort of the providential push, even the hard stuff that pushes people out. He has used all of it to accomplish just what he said he was going to do. And so Paul is in Rome because Paul's supposed to be in Rome sharing the gospel because that's how the gospel is going to get to Rome. That's just what's going to happen. Because God has placed every single one of his people just where he wants them to be able to be the instruments of his grace as he plays them and through them shares the music of the gospel wherever they are for the glory of his name. And that's a really interesting thought, isn't it, this morning? Sometimes when we think about missions, and, and I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, Okay. But often the mistake that we make is that wherever we are, we think, well, that's Jerusalem and somewhere else is the end of the earth. But for people in, in Brazil and, and Judea and China, guess who the end of the earth is? It's you. And God has placed you just where he wants you to use you for his glory and for your good to reach the people around you. And so the question for us this morning is to consider, Lord, where do you have us? God has us in our, in our neighborhoods, uh, in our communities, in our businesses, in our relationships, in our families, in our clubs, like whatever you're part of, in your schools, on your teams. He has you just where he wants you to be used by him so that other people might come to believe in the Savior in whom you trust. And there's a lot of details he hasn't given us. The disciples asked Jesus, right, is it now? 
And Jesus completely redirects their question. Even after he ascends into heaven, you know, they're staring out into the clouds, up into the sky. And I love it. The Lord sends these two men robed in white, sort of these angels, to say, that, to, say to them, and this is my paraphrase, right? Stop looking up. Stop gazing in heaven. Jesus tells them, it's not for you to know when I'm going to come back. It's not for you to know when the kingdom is going to be restored. You don't need those details in order to be faithful to the task I've given you. And so what does that look like? Well, it looks different for all of us, doesn't it? It's a matter of understanding your passions and your abilities and your relationships and where God has placed you. And if you're, if you're here this morning and you're like, okay, that sounds really good. Okay, I'm supposed to be uh, the, the, the witness to Jesus like Jesus. I'm supposed to uh, share words and point people to the gospel. I'm supposed to live that out where I am. And, and God has placed me right here in the low country in my relationships for this purpose. That sounds great. I have no idea what to do with that. And I want to say to you this morning, if you have no idea to do, what to do with that because you've never uh, worked through that and, and have people around you, that's, that is okay. That is not a surprise. I mean, think about it. Even this morning, these disciples spent three years with Jesus, three years of ministry, life on life, every day in the seminary called Jesus. And Jesus says to them, as he's resurrected from the dead, preparing to ascend to the Father, Okay, here's the mission. And they're still getting it wrong. Every single word of the question. And so the power of that and the beauty of that is we figure it out in relationships. We figure out how that looks in community. Lord, what does it look like for me to share the gospel? Great, let's figure it out together. For some of you, that what is your next step? Your next step is just figuring out how to make sure that the people around you know that you're a Christian. Some of them may, and some of them may not. Maybe none of them do. And that just, that might be your first, your first next step. For others of you, you're, you're farther down the long and God has given you relationships and God is, God is burdening you to do far more as your next step. But the question for us this morning is, where are you? Where does God have you? We know why. The, the call for us is to trust him, to be used by him, to be witnesses to Christ, like Christ, by his spirit, for his world, where he's placed us. As we prepare our hearts this morning, uh, the Lord's Supper is a powerful reorienting um, opportunity for our own hearts this morning. On the night that Jesus was was betrayed, Jesus took bread and having broken it in the viewing of his disciples, he said, this is my body, take and eat. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of their sins. Drink of it, all of you. This morning, we have an opportunity to come and to remember that the one who loves us has come to forgive us to forgive us when we are apathetic and forgetful of the mission that he has given us and to love us and embrace us and empower us when we just seem to be on fire. And wherever you are this morning in the mission of Christ, we invite you, if you are a follower of him, to come and to be encouraged, to be strengthened by his grace for his work. 
If you're here this morning and you do not yet know the Savior whose work is pictured here, then this table is not yet for you. But we would invite you to see the people who come forward this morning as a visible picture of a God who nourishes needy sinners who are desperately in need of his grace. As we prepare our hearts for the table this, this morning, let's prepare by praying the prayer that we pray each week together. The Lord, the peace of the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. For Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. The gift of God for the people of God.